Lord, as we open up your word, I pray, God, that we would see what you want us to see. And Lord, I pray your spirit would speak. I pray, God, that we would understand your word and, and know how to connect it to our lives today. I pray, God, that we would have hearts to hear your truth, that we would respond according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bibles this morning, if you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at a message by faith from the Red Sea to Jericho, by faith from the Red Sea to Jericho. The author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are Jews, they came out of Judaism, and they're tempted to think that the best way to go is to revert back to Judaism. If you didn't know that, you might be confused as to what he's doing in Hebrews 11. He's going back to their, their ancestors. He's going back to our ancestors by faith. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, the only way is the way of Messiah. The only way through Messiah is the way of faith. That's the only way that we can live. It's the only way that we can navigate. Go back with me to uh, Hebrews 11.6. And in Hebrews 11.6, this is really the principle of what we've been learning. It says in verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And whether he's been demonstrating that through Abel or Enoch or Noah or Abraham or Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, on and on and on, what is he establishing? That the only way we can walk with God is to walk by faith. Today we're going to look at three different episodes that bring us through this time frame. Through the time frame of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea to the conquest in Jericho that involved Rahab and the spies, we're going to see this principle of faith carry on. And the first one that we're going to look at this morning that he brings out in verse 29 is the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. Look at verse 29 with me. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. He's gonna draw a contrast between the people of God and the Egyptians. In fact, in every one of these cases, whether it is the Israelites and the Egyptians or the Israelites and the Canaanites or Rahab and her fellow Canaanites, what you see is, is that the people of God in the examples that he alludes to, he points to, they are people that are in humility depending upon God. He's drawing a contrast in each one of these in 29, 30, and 31. He draws a contrast between their faith and he draws a contrast between the arrogance and the unbelief of those that turned against God. And we see in each of these an illustration of what happens ultimately to those who refuse to bow in faith before God. They are judged. They fall under the wrath of God. And you see that in each of these, 29 and 30, and then again in verse 31 that follows verse 30 and what we learn about Jericho. So keep that in mind, the contrast that is being developed. And in verse 29, he's going to make a contrast between the people that crossed the Red Sea is on dry land. He's gonna show that they crossed on dry land because they believed God. They trusted the promise of God and they walked across on dry land out of faith. In contrast to the Egyptians who sought to go down the same path, 
They sought to cover the same ground, but they did it presumptuously. And as a result of their unbelief and their unwillingness to look to God, they drowned. So we start with the crossing of the Red Sea. And when we look at the crossing of the Red Sea, it's important that we go back in our Old Testament to get a picture of what's going on. Go to Exodus chapter 13 with me, if you would. Exodus 13, and and in each of these stories, it's gonna be pivotal, whether we're in Exodus or we're in the book of Joshua. It's important that we ask questions like, what were the circumstances? What were the people up against? How did the situation that they were in require faith? And then an ultimate question that's really significant is how can we relate to them? What's the bridge? What's the bridge from thousands of years ago without in any way violating what the author of Hebrews was seeking to convey to his readers? And then also as we go back to the Old Testament, how can we have a bridge from all the way back in the Exodus and all the way back at Jericho and all the way back from the house of Rahab And how can we go from the book of Hebrews and how can we bring it all the way to 2022 without violation of what God is revealing here? That's the question as Christians we need to ask. How can we bring this into contemporary today? How can we live in the present out of the truth of what God is revealing here? So that's what we need to be prayerfully considering as we walk through. Exodus chapter 13 verses 17 through 22. And and, you know, when we look at this, we begin to learn some highlights of what's happening. And we read in verse 18 something that's incredibly significant. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Look at verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. If you, ha- if you weren't with us, there are, those, there are those bones, the bones of Joseph, right? Because what did he do on his deathbed? He said, you better take my bones because what did he know? He knew that God would fulfill his promise. I love this because in a moment, you're gonna see a picture of ourselves. You're gonna see a picture of God who has worked faithfully And you're going to see how forgetful. What had he just done? He had just worked through the Passover. What a dramatic display of God's provision and power. But let me ask you something. Is it easy for you to criticize the people of Israel in Sunday school or when you're reading your Old Testament and then turn right around and forget the faithfulness of God demonstrated in your own life? I tell you, uh, it's easy to cast stones at the people of Israel. But I can't tell you how many times in my life God has met me in a dark place. God has been faithful to me in a trial. And yet sometimes I walk into a different trial and a new one, and you would think that I had never witnessed the faithfulness of God even one time. We can learn a lot today as we're reminded. But but Joseph, I love this because he told him, he said, look, you're gonna carry around this box with my bones in them. And later on, we're gonna see, if you keep reading in in the Old Testament, we looked at this when we, examine Joseph, his bones are buried. It's a faithfulness and a testimony to the faithfulness of God. He will deliver on his word. And so what's happening, God orchestrates they're going to the Red Sea. So many times, it's hard to understand, and I don't want to in any way trivialize anything that happens in our life. But remember, you know, people will say, uh, I'm in this situation. I know God didn't want me in this situation. Well, I want you to be reminded we can't understand the omniscience of God and we can't understand his wisdom. And so many times when we're in a trial, we can only see it through the lens that we have, you know, the lens that we're in. And if we can't remember the fact that God is omniscient and wise, if we knew everything that God knows, we then can see with eyes of faith and trust that his way is best. But we don't see that. And what we're called to in the scripture is because he is omniscient and because he is wise to trust him, to trust him, to believe in him, to walk by faith. 
And so the people were led by God to the Red Sea. God, in fact, brought them to a place where there was no way out. God brought them to a place where he could have done it a lot of different ways because we look at how he works in the scripture. He's miraculous. He's all-powerful. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he chose to literally put them in a dead end, to put them where it looked like there was nowhere to go. Why? Because he wanted to drive them to a place of dependent faith where they could experience who he was, they could know him better, that he could be glorified, and that he could work his redemptive purposes through the people. And there's something there for us to learn. As hard as it is in our lives, when we come to places that we just can't understand, we can be encouraged as we look to the people of the Old Testament to see how God has faithfully worked in the people of the past. And it's good at that point, just as if I came to your house today and I sat on your couch while you prepared me a steak, that would be a great idea, by the way, and I grabbed your family album, and I could look at your family album, and isn't it crazy and neat to see, you know, see your kids when they were little? I'm like, wow, look at that. And then maybe see your grandparents and see where you used to live and see family trips. And I'm like, wow. And it helps me understand you better. For the people of God, we look in our family album, and what do we look at? We look at everyone that's gone before us, and we look at how God has worked and been faithful within their lives. And it's intended to do what? It's intended not for us to walk around a museum and gaze at all of the pictures and think, wow, isn't this neat? No, it's critical that we see that we are a part of their story, that we are part of that family, that God is calling us to walk the very same steps. So that's what we're seeing here. They come to the Red Sea. God brought them there. And he brought them there. And as you move into chapter 14, you see in uh, verses 1 through 4, let's read this together. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They're in a, they're in a dead end, so to speak, not to God, but to the mind that's neglecting godly wisdom there's nowhere to go. What have you done to us? And so what happens? Just as God had promised that he would harden the heart of Pharaoh, he begins to change his tune in verse 5 of chapter 14. What is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And so you read in verses 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly. What an amazing scene. And then you get into verses 9 through 12. And you get into 9.12 of chapter 14, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piha-Eroth in front of, y'all say that word if you get, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Isn't it amazing? The eyes of unbelief would rather be in 
slavery in Egypt than to be walking towards the promised land. And, and, and we can relate with that. We can relate with uh, our own lives of little faith, but, but it's easy to forget the promises of God. And as we go through here, what we're going to see is that the life and the walk of faith believes in the promises, the character, and the power of God. And what did God promise these precious people? He had promised them back in 1225. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. It should have been a clue for the people that when Moses was given the instructions by God to institute the first Passover, that what was told to the people, this will be a sign, this will be a reminder for you for all generations. It wasn't gonna be the last meal. The Passover was beginning there. It was, a, it was an amazing call there that God was saying, look, I want you to know how I want you to follow this for years and years and years to come. But the people had lost sight because the people got their eyes off of God and onto their circumstances. This morning, it sounds cliche, but isn't it profound to ask yourself, are your eyes on your circumstances or are they on God this morning? If you get your eyes on the circumstances and you lose sight of God and his promises, don't be surprised when you're overwhelmed. I think the one thing that we could easily encourage one another with through testimony would be that when we choose to go at it in our own wisdom, through our own perspective, in our own power, it's overwhelming. It leads to stress, anxiety, and fear, and we would rather go backwards than forwards. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that this lesson that he's giving these people he's writing to is relevant? They're wanting to go where? Forward or go back? Go back. And what is God calling them to do in the book of Hebrews is they're reminded of the supremacy of Jesus, not to go back to Judaism, but to go forward in endurance with Christ. And so now he, he goes with, with the wisdom that only the Holy Spirit could bring him. He goes back to the Exodus. And as he's reminding them of all that happened at the Exodus, He's bringing them to the reality that even though they questioned Moses and even though they said, take us back, what are you doing? Are you gonna kill us over here, paraphrasing here? What, what, is, they, what is he saying? He's saying, look, God had a way in his timing and in his means to bring these people to a place of faith even after they were in disbelief. I'll tell you, you may be here this morning and over the last month, over the last two months, maybe through this whole series in the book of Hebrews, you're not really walking by faith, but I want you to see something here. Understand the call of God through this, through his powerful word. He's calling us to act in faith. He's calling us regardless of what we've done, regardless of how we've been living. He's calling us to understand the promises that he gives. He's calling us to see there's a better way. He's calling us to learn through the stories of the Old Testament and that by the grace of God, we would have a different experience than walking in unbelief. So be encouraged by that. It's the kindness of God that calls out to his people to say there's a better way. There's a better way. That's the kindness of God. That's the love of God. And we keep moving here. They, they don't know what to do. They are overwhelmed, but Moses is calling them to go forward. You know, he calls out to God, and what is the response? The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And then he tells them, and you know the story, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people may go through the sea on dry ground. He told them that he would harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They would come in after them. That, that he would get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen in verse 17. And then it says in verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You know the story, but what's taking place here? God delivered and did exactly what he said he would do. He promised them in verse 19, 20 of chapter 14 that he would go before them 
And remember the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. In verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Verse 21 of chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And you look in verse 23, verse 22, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Just remarkable. I remember going up to uh, Mount Hood when I lived in Oregon, and we would go ski up there at Timberline, and, and, and it was one of the greatest amount of snow in anywhere in the country. It was over the ski base. The snow base was like up to 300 inches and, and, and then you would drive in up to Mount Hood. The walls of the snow that they had plowed were higher than the ceilings here by double. They were way up, and you couldn't believe those roads that would go through all that snow that had been pushed up. But think about that in terms of the sea. And, and there was a wall of water. In verse 24 or 23, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then we know the story in verse 26 and down, the Lord told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea that the water would come back on the Egyptians. And he did it. And what took place as a result? We read in verse 27, he stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And what took place? The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but we see the promise of God. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. What a, what a tremendous passage illustrating God's promise and God's fulfillment. I tell you, when we're faced with no place to go, the only way to move forward is to trust in the promises of God. It, I don't know about you, but we can pretend that there's a way of the Christian life that is by unbelief, but that is just not biblical. We can't walk with Christ apart from belief. We can't walk with God apart from believing his word. It reminds us of the need to put his promises deep within our heart, doesn't it? to store them deep within us. Because how are we gonna live apart from trusting his word and trusting his promises? And it hit me and I was, I was looking at this. You know, God had given them the promise of redemption from Egypt. And it's critical that we trust in God's promises of redemption in our own lives. And I know it's different because they're fleeing slavery to a people and we're dealing with a spiritual life and spiritual dimension. They were dealing with spiritual realities, but they were also dealing with the physical land. They were dealing with going into the land of Canaan. They were dealing with leaving the land of Egypt. But we have to remember that we have to trust God's promises in our life when it looks like God's promises of redemption are just not going to be carried out. I, I want you to think about it. What are some of the promises that we have in our redemption? We, we learn about not only what God has done for us at the cross, that those who trust in him are declared righteous, that we're justified by faith, that, that we're set free because of what Christ has done for us. But then we learn about this whole process called sanctification. And sometimes in your struggle, do you ever get weary and start to doubt whether or not God is going to fulfill his promise of he who began a good work in you will complete it 
until the day of Christ Jesus? Sometimes are you tempted to doubt the promise of Romans 8? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his promise, purpose. And then he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you ever, like in looking at real-time Christianity in your life, do you look at it and go, wait a minute, I'm tempted to doubt whether or not that is actually going to take place in me. But what we have to remember through all of this, this, this weekend we've been reminded of the reality of death. When you're faced with the reality of death, when, when, when you consider your own mortality, you think, wait a minute, I as I get closer to the reality, I mean, you start, you start looking at a normal lifespan and you start looking at what quarter are you in. Some of you young whippersnappers might be in the first quarter of the normal life scale, but you start looking at it as an adult and say, wait a minute, I may be in the third quarter with three and a quarter to go in the third. I may be in the early fourth quarter. There may be nine minutes in the game. And you may be looking at it and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, and you're tempted to look at your life and you're tempted to doubt the promises of God. But you have to remember something. God had given his people promise of redemption, but when things got difficult, they were tempted to bail on those promises. But one thing we can learn is that when God gives promises of redemption, we can trust them with all of our heart. With all of our heart, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the journey, regardless of what is coming, regardless of what is unknown. I pray you're encouraged by that. God delivers. I was talking to a dear lady earlier this week in, in a passage we were talking about. Remember what Paul says? It, 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 this is his preliminary hearing before Nero, and he had an opportunity for people to come to him and, and support him. No one showed up. Nobody showed up. In fact, they deserted him. He makes the comment at the end of verse 16, may it not be charged against them. But then he makes a statement that is really pivotal to understand in light of what we know historically. Most scholars believe that Paul dies shortly after this. And what does he say? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I was delivered. But then he says something that qualifies his statement, that brings perspective to his hope of deliverance that would come through his redemption promises of what awaited him in eternity. And he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Just as God is faithful to deliver his promises of redemption to the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, God is faithful to his people, not only in his deliverance of their sin, but in his deliverance all the way home. Be encouraged. Andy Davis, a guy out of Durham, North Carolina, preacher, really good preacher, he says, faith is the eyesight of the soul by which we see invisible spiritual realities, past, present, and future. Let's keep moving here. The conquest of Jericho. We don't have time to read all the verses, but you know the story. They now have moved through the Red Sea and we get into the book of Joshua, which chronologically covers about a seven-year period in the history of Israel. And, and what has God called them to do? God has called them to, con make, to literally conquer the land. It's, it's the land that God had promised in Genesis 12. But what is the obstacle in their midst? How in the world are they going to do it? God called them to take Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city. Jericho had all of the privileges of fortification in the ancient world. A Canaanite city with a king with all the defense mechanisms they needed to be successful against any potential ally, I mean enemy. And what does God tell them to do? 
they had, they had recognized of what had happened. You see, there's 40 years it takes place from the time the people crossed the Red Sea until the time that they experienced conquest in Jericho. It's interesting. I mean, if you look at this from a principle, you could say there is no moving forward without faith. You can't advance in the Christian life without faith. And if you need a physical illustration of that principle, look no further than the people of Israel. The people of Israel that had a tendency of doubting and murmuring and complaining, Moses called them to look forward. And when we look at that passage in verse 29, that the people trusted God and moved forward, the only way we can understand that, either one way is that the remnant were what he was talking about, or on the other end, we can look at it and say, by the grace of God, as Moses compelled them, as they were about to enter the Red Sea, God gave them the ability to trust him, to walk on dry land, to believe that his promise would be secure, to walk not out of arrogance or pride or their own strength, but believe that God would do it. Then they get into the land on the other side, and rather than it just being a time where they walk right over into and take Jericho, for 40 years, there are no examples of real faith amongst the people. They walk in unbelief. What a reminder to us. We can't move forward, you know, and, and our life is, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is gracious. He was patient. Many of them died in the wilderness, we learn. But what happened? He brought them to the edge of Jericho 40 years later, and, and God began to show them he showed them how he wanted them to conquer Jericho. And it says in verse two of chapter six, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This you shall do for six days. You've got the, you've got the mighty men at the front. You've got the seven priests that are blowing trumpets. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. You've got another group of, of, of armored men behind the Ark. You've got this amazing scene. And what they're doing would defy all of human logic. They are going to walk around the city of Jericho. And basically for six straight days, all they're going to do is walk around the city one time each day and each time they walk around it, if you're in the city and you were looking out at this massive group, what you would see is they were simply blowing trumpets. It reminds you of the Old Testament. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by the might and the power of men. But what do we see that God told the people of Israel? We come to the passage that I think we need to look at chapter 6, verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. we got to move quick. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. They blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them. And the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And you see what's happening. And the second day they marched around the city once, returned into the camp. They did for six days. But look at this. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner. The seventh day, they did it seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. What a remarkable reminder of the power of God and the promises of God. Jericho was a stronghold they, they had to overcome. There would be no peace, as Ray Fowler says, in the promised land apart from conquering Jericho. God had called them to take the city 
that they had to get through. And so what happens? They follow God. They trust God. It makes no sense. They're up against an obstacle. They fight this obstacle. How? By human ingenuity, by human wisdom, by human power, by human strength? No, by believing in what God had revealed in his word. Uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of commentators I respect, a lot of pastors I respect, they relate this to saying, okay, how do we bridge this? Because we're not, we're not trying to take over a city. But they say, okay, as the people of God, we face these enormous obstacles in our Christian life. And how are we to look at these obstacles? The only way we can see the obstacles in our Christian life and ever have wisdom and ever have discernment is to how to navigate through these obstacles or around these obstacles or whatever's going on. The only way we can do it is through the wisdom that God provides through his word. And the only way we can live with these obstacles, whatever they may be, I think it's interesting because sometimes when you're in a, you know, listening to a sermon like this, if I'm you and I'm sitting there listening to a preacher, it's amazing because a lot of times whatever I'm facing that is the most cumbersome thing to my heart, immediately I know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about something specific and it's as if God is saying, look, you've got to trust me in this situation. You've got to believe me. We can't understand the wisdom of God. His ways are not our ways. His solutions are often not the way we think he's going to work it out. But regardless, when we face obstacles, we're either going to approach them through our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, our own power, or we're going to bow in submission to the ways of God. We're going to trust him. We're going to walk with him. And we see what the Lord did as a result. The final story that he gives is Rahab and the spies. And it's significant because Rahab, as we just read, Rahab and her family were the only people that were safe from the destruction of Jericho. And, and how did that take place? You remember what happened is that Joshua sent two men and the spies, and they came into Jericho. And the text of Joshua chapter 2 tells us that in verse 2 that, or verse 1, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. The king inquires because he hears rumblings about two people that are spies that came in and he asked Rahab what's going on and Rahab denies anything and basically gives him another story so that the people will go outside of the gate to look to see where these men had gone. But in reality, she had hid them in verse six of chapter two, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So they're looking for the, the men but what happens as a result here is phenomenal. Look at verse nine of Joshua chapter two. In Joshua two, verse nine, we see the faith of Rahab, amazing. And she said to the men that are on the roof, I know that the Lord had give, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. You could go to Numbers chapter 21 and you could see how Israel defeated Sihon and Og are their names. And what happened was just as the song of Moses predicted prophetically that the enemies of Israel would hear of God's power through the Red Sea and it would cause them to fear. And they were fearful because they knew that God was with his people. And now they had, Rahab understands that they have already experienced victory against Sihon and Og. And she keeps going on in verse 11 of chapter two of Joshua. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth beneath. 
Now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers. What a story. And you remember what happens. They, they give her the instructions of what to do. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And it's almost a repeat of the miraculous story of the Passover, where the blood of the lamb protects the people, the firstborn of Israel, and now this scarlet thread is going to protect Rahab and her family from danger. She trusts in the God of Israel, and her faith is demonstrated that she risked her life to give them protection. You say, how did this work? They found something crazy in archaeology over the years. They found that there, there was an outer wall and an inner wall. And at the bottom of the picture, do you see there's like something in between the inner wall and the outer wall? They've literally found in archaeology that Jericho had houses that were built in between the walls. And so they've literally documented the reality that it was normal for there to be houses in the wall structure. And that's exactly where Rahab lived. And they actually discovered that in archaeology that they found that one set of walls was, was taken down and served as a ramp to the inner wall. And it literally speaks that they went up into the city and the archaeologists think they've literally found how they did that, that the wall structure literally bent over and they walked up the outer wall straight up to the inner wall and took the city. All that to say, she believed God. What do we learn about Rahab here? We learn in James chapter two, she's an example of how faith works. I wonder if you're here today and you're thinking, uh, you know, this is all good for you church people, but you don't understand me. I don't know much about God. Some of y'all know all this stuff about the Bible. Well, I've got good news for you. You're good company with Rahab. She didn't know much at all. I've done so many things wrong, you may be thinking. You don't know what I've done. If you knew what I did, you would be horrified. Rahab, in the transparency and honesty of God's word, it is revealed that she was a prostitute. Now think about it. In the patriarchal Mideast, where men were, were known to rule the day, in God's word, God takes a woman who's a prostitute here and uses her as an example of his grace. What a picture. So many people I've talked to over the years, you don't know my story. God can't save me. You don't know all that I've done. You don't know all that I've committed sinfully. You don't know my life. You don't know how I've slept around. You don't know how this has happened. You don't know this and this and this. Where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. I want to encourage you. You look to people like Rahab. You look to Gentiles from Moab like Ruth, and you look at all the outsiders, and you start to realize, unless you're an outsider, unless you're aware of the bankrupt state of your heart and your soul, you have no place in the kingdom of God. But aren't you thankful that there's room for the prostitute? There's room for the arrogant? There's room for the people that by the grace of God in their sin recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. And they recognize there's nothing of works that could save them but they cry out for the mercy and the grace of God. And that's who Rahab is. And that's what she demonstrates here. But you know what's phenomenal? Did you know this? Rahab's an individual who's found in the line of Jesus. In Matthew 1.5, as all these names are listed in the, you know, the genealogy of Christ and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. We don't have time to go through all the different names in the genealogy of Christ to show how this is demonstrated with other people. But really quickly, look at this chart. It's amazing. You've got 
if you can see that, your eyes are better than mine. But you can see that Rahab married a guy and they had a son named Boaz. And if you keep going down, you see that Christ comes through this line. The grace of God, the grace of God. We learn that God saves sinners. We learn that Rahab had a place in the family of God. This morning we see the promises of God. God is faithful to fulfill his promise. The Christian life is all of faith. We see that in the faith that is demonstrated here all the way through. I want us to just look at this passage here and we're gonna do something in closing. So let's go back and just read it again. Verse 29, Hebrews 11, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea is on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, they trusted the promise of God, didn't they? They did what God said to do. And as a result, God worked. The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. But this morning in close, I want us to go back to a passage we looked at earlier that Mike read. I want you to go over to Exodus chapter 15 really quick. Exodus 15, I want you to read verses 14 through 18 with me. Exodus 15, 14 through 18. I want you to see because this act of God in history is such a reminder to us of what he will do in the future. In verse 14, the peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in. Now, wait a minute. Do you see what's going on here? They are singing the song of deliverance through the Red Sea, but now they're singing a song of praise because as they've observed and witnessed the faithfulness of God, it gives them confidence of God's faithfulness to look to the future. And look at the tense there in verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Now I want you to go to the book of Revelation. <laughs> this is amazing. Revelation 15. Verse one, then I saw another sign in heaven, 15, one. Great and amazing seven angels of seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of whom? The song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the almighty just and true are your ways. O King of the nations who will not fear O Lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed today. As we close, I want you to think of something here. You know, what we read in Revelation, we see that the song of Moses is ultimately fulfilled in the song of the Lamb. That God's deliverance through Moses is, 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 is pointing us to even a greater deliverance through the Lamb of Jesus Christ, 
who brings the greater exodus, an exodus that's greater from that from Egypt, a greater exodus which comes out of sin and bondage and death into Christ and into grace. And I want us to think this morning, here's what we're gonna close, that the, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, the conquering of Jericho, Rahab in the spies teaches us what? That we can trust God to fulfill his promise and there will be a day in the future where the song of Moses will be sang alongside the song of the lamb. And friend, that is encouragement for you regardless of what you are facing, just as Exodus 14, 13 says, fear not, stand firm. Trust in the promises of God. As we close, let's, let's pray and let's, let's pray that, that that would be our, our life that we would live according to the promises of God. And again, what are you facing right now, friend? What are you facing? What are you dealing with? What overwhelms you? What causes you the most fear? What causes you the temptation for the most compromise? Look to the faithfulness of God as he's worked in history, and let's move forward by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you're faithful. And Lord, I pray, oh God, I pray that we would see that you're reliable, that you're trustworthy. God, I pray that we would rest in that. Lord, I pray that we would see that your promises are the very promises that bring us to the very risk of faith. God, we can follow you and trust you because of the grace of your son, the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, oh God, today that we would trust in you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that sees himself as an outsider of the people of God, that today, just like Rahab, they would believe in the promise. They would trust in the God who created the world. They would believe in his son. And today they would experience forgiveness and they would experience fellowship with the people of God. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.